0: Hi, my name is Sam Blazard, welcome to Comms from the Shed, the interview show where you get to hear from a range of diverse and interesting voices. In this series, we'll be taking an informal look at life, talking to people who've been doing incredible things, and asking them about their hopes for the future in both their personal and professional lives. Hope you enjoy it. Today we are joined by Sarah Lazenby. Sarah is a communications specialist who started her career in regional media as a journalist and editor before going on to work for the Sun newspaper. Since then, she's devoted the majority of her career to finding the kernel of truth in the employee engagement experience, whether that was as head of internal comms for Wardour, AXA, HMRC, the Cabinet Office or Royal Mail. Sarah is a fellow of the UK's Institute of Internal Communication an award-winning writer and editor, and has recently gone back to her journalism roots at healthcare brand Roche Diagnostics. What essential skills and qualities do you think we might have lost as communicators in the current landscape, if any?
1: Yeah, I I thought... um, Yeah, I think about... I've thought about that. I don't actually think that we are losing skills or qualities. Um... But I do think it's important, uh, and I say this to people when they ask me. So I do a bit of mentoring. Is is to keep adapting and be open minded, because you know things change all the time in terms of 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 tools and and channels and things like that. But the the kind of basic human need to communicate is it, it remains the same. But you know you just need to move with the times a little and and just keep very open minded. You it's because you've done something same way for three or four years it doesn't mean to say that should be how you carry on doing things um so try and keep flexible and things like that so and the other thing i you know i I still come across this which it it does amaze me that we, you know i say to them we don't have you know particularly if you look at employees we we don't have passive audience waiting for us to say things and do or or indeed stopping what they're doing at work which they're being paid for because we've got 5 million stories to send uh, or 3 million PowerPoints. Um, you know, I think communication overload. Uh, I think Bill Quirk had a brilliant thing about it, never has so much been communicated to so many with so little meaning. Uh, I've quoted that often uh, in organization <laughs> in terms of the quality. You know, we do have members of the public working for our organisation. You know, people choose their own content. They choose work or to engage with communication that may or may not be happening so um one of the things i think that and i still feel sometimes is missing um uh, with some people is is really good insight a really good insight into um all sorts of audience but particularly our employees and our, our customers and our various stakeholder groups you know so much of it uh, insight has been used by our advertising and marketing for so many years, and yet so little insight has been used by um, communications teams. Uh, you know, and and yet if you get the right insight, and there's so much you can get now. I mean, so many incredible um, social media listening tools. Um, you know, just to, to highlight the conversations that are happening internally, externally. Um, in all sorts of markets and all sorts of ways on all sorts of topics, where you know if you have that sort of insight, and you can get that sort of insight or work with the people who have that insight, you know if you can really differentiate your organization from everyone else, even in the same in the same industry. You know that's that insight on which you can then base effective communication, where you may find that no one else is speaking, but you could have a powerful voice. It's absolutely vital. And so I often say to people, you know, even if you don't have a budget to have that sort of thing, listen, listen for what's not being said. Listen in your own organisation. Try and tap into the conversations that are happening, uh both formally and informally. Um And um I th- I've always, you know, I've often said to people, I think if you can do nothing else, even without budget, you know, you can, there's there's ways and means. So, you know, an example is... Uh, pretty um, standard stuff really they're kind of back to the floor but I mean I certainly with with one uh, large organization I worked with um, I I actually went off uh, I said I'd take the job I said I'd take the job if they allowed me to go and spend my first five weeks inducting myself in the organization by going into it and working in it uh, in all aspects of it and and talking to people and working alongside them and, and picking up what what maybe isn't filtering through um because you know and and it's a little bit expensive to send someone like me in um but it was also been expensive to get any kind of insight like that and that that stuff that I actually got from that really helped shape some powerful communication approaches it also saved us fortune on stuff that we were doing that wouldn't have had any resonance whatsoever so I do think you know don't think you can communicate about stuff if you have no idea what you should be communicating to whom and when what and how um so there's all sorts of ways to do that so and the other thing I think you know and people go oh measurement and valuation well you know there's a surefire way to make yourself very unattractive to the CEO and that's to not have any value at all and to not be able to show the value you bring you know um I think you know some parts of organizations with a, a, a clearer profit and loss responsibility it's easier but in your communications you can be seen as all those fluffy people that that do a lot of com stuff as opposed to um professional business people with a comm specialist who can help your business succeed to, to do that and to prove that you can do that whether it's a a, a boost to reputation or it's a booster of line. You, you need to be able to measure and, and, and evaluate what you do and share that back. And and really and truly, if you don't do that, you should really be working in comms. And that sounds a bit each but that's who I am.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. And I really Yeah, I was really nodding along when you were talking about that self imposed induction. I mean, that's uh mm-hmm. that's very much an approach I've taken as well. Uh without actually having it mandated in an agreement as you as you mm-hmm. smartly did. But I think that's fantastic advice actually for all comms people. I'm just gonna ask you now about the the periods that we've lived through um, COVID-19 and the pandemic, because there's been lots of talk about it in terms of people finding their purpose or going off to find their purpose, recruitment crises, obviously just the trauma of the event itself, the effect on mental health, hybrid working. Um, And I think more specifically from the communications point of view, A lot of comms people I've spoken to said, you know, we'd been going to networking events for years, you know, wittering on about a seat at the table. And this was the moment where we were thrust into the vanguard. People were really listening. um, And we did have a seat at the table. And so I suppose it's a two-part question, really. Do you think that was a, a really symbolic and significant moment for internal communications specialists? And just what's your own reflection on the period generally what how did you kind of experience it and, and live through it
1: yeah I think that um I happen to work in a in a healthcare business as you say with so for us we were right at the uh we were very much a, a bit one of the businesses at the forefront of um of the actual pandemic you know because um incredible people that I worked with were Going into hospitals, they were installing machines. They were making sure there were tests. In fact, we created a test really, really quickly and um, to get to get out there uh, the PCR test. So, you know, we and the comms team I was in, you know, to be honest with you, it was, oh, and in fact, two people, including our head of comms, joined during the first year. It was <laughs> it was a an interesting time as a comms team. I think. The disciplines for communicators who potentially been through crises is to keep calm when, when all around you people are losing their sensibility, I suppose, and and getting really panicked. And um, I think where communicators who've been through a crisis um, are are able to to perform well is, is having a good crisis plan that frankly they can they can flex. To, to set themselves up to try and be that business partner, that uh, guardian of the single source of truth. And one of the things I thought that was different, obviously, about COVID was that we weren't just dealing with a crisis as we have dealt with crises. And as I said, I'm, I'm not alone. I've dealt with a number of dreadful um, uh, death situations in, in different organisations and, and, and several crises that have been a life and death situation. And... The fact was that we were living in it ourselves, and I think that's where I mean, oh my goodness, when I've seen some of the stories shared from the perspective of their own challenges, I'm I'm just super proud. I think I think the industry um stepped forward. I'd also say because I worked in an integrated team, it was absolutely essential to do that, and um I'm sure that perhaps better relationships have been forged in a number of organisations, working with people who are, uh, are frontline to customers, to people who are, are working with um, stakeholders and government people, um, and to our, you know, to employees who, some of whom were literally putting their lives on the line to go out and, and save others. Now, the other thing, of course, we had a minor thing, didn't we, for the UK, is we had the minor issue of Brexit, which, You know, for a lot of people, they would say, well, why was that a crisis? Well, I won't get political about it, but I will say that, you know, I think when you first came across it and maybe two years before, someone said, oh, we should be doing something on Brexit, and you will think you should be, and then you suddenly realise why you should be and how how many tentacles the decision to exit the EU have in organisations. So that was an ongoing crisis before we even hit pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah. And I and I think it would be interesting, Sam, to find out on top of those two pretty biggies, how many other organizations had other crises like those the years of the pandemic that just happened to be happening, you know, whether it was things not opening, bad products, all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, I think it was an, an incredible, um oh, I don't know, incredible uh, time, very stressful time for very many people, but um I certainly think if you uh, were in it and you, you survived it, um, it's it certainly would have um, connected you better with your organization. And I think that they will have seen comms in action, really good comms in action.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because this podcast was born out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, be- because really, I, like a lot of people, was struggling for meaning. And I was in my shed at the bottom of the garden you know writing linkedin blogs about you know what does it all what does it all mean you know why are we staring into this kind of Mm. virtual video conference abyss? and you know we're all sort of yeah on a continuous stream of meetings for 12 to 14 hours a day and you know it it, it just at that time there didn't seem to be a way out and i remember people telling me great stories on the early episodes i think our first guest was drew mcmillan who's now at At Deloitte but he he was the comms director at British Airways at the time and he shared some amazing stories about how pilots were retraining as a CADO delivery van drivers and British Airways people were helping with the kind of sorting and distribution of PPE and things like that you know I mean that's just one tiny example
1: there must be millions
0: I mean you you talk about the healthcare industry I worked in construction at the time in the eye of the storm of it and Again, it's a similar thing to what you were saying in a different way, but the construction industry never stopped. The government told the construction industry to keep going because it was about having infrastructure on time at the end of it all. And so those men and women were risking their lives as well to build hospitals, get hospitals finished ahead of time. And and that was very humbling, I must say, um, for everybody involved. I've just referenced other well we both referenced other communicators I mean over the years um and you've actually you've mentioned one I know Bill Quirk but are there any other communicators that you've sort of followed and that you've admired and that you've you've learned from and, and and why is that?
1: Yeah I mean they've tended to be um particularly in particular areas specialism. if I think about the people that I think are just really good at what they do and, and they've always been interesting, I think- Waddington, I think he's got a great um, website uh, wads.co.uk which he runs now with his, his wife Sarah um, I would really urge people to check out uh, that uh, that website Sorry,
0: sorry Stephen, that. I must have named
1: it Stephen Waddington um, and his wife Sarah run a, a brilliant website and they do a brilliant podcast as well and what I love is it's not just the external comms, it's external comms all the disciplines of comms but it's just got a really clear it's very accessible it's very it's very generous with the content that you can get the podcast is really excellent um and so yeah it's, it's a wealth of, of good good information. Uh, so I think that's what it is. I do think some of the industry um bodies as well I think good old Institute of internal you now I've been I was aligned with for many many years when i was specialized just in internal problems is but again very generous with its its sources um similarly PR Academy and um, so some of those places I think are, are are really good as I said I have mentioned Hilary and and promise you I'm not uh, she's not got me on special agents fees or anything like that but I just find the work that 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 she did when I used to know her at HMRC but also the work that she's done like um, Houndsford is again is is really interesting and then latterly the neuroscience work again I think that whole one on behaviours and how that affects your approach in organizations is is really, really worth worth getting into. I think we've all heard now of Leandro Herrera, but well, when he first came out and he did his viral change book. Again, a very, very fascinating uh, you know, who who are the people that we trust in organizations? Well, not necessarily on the organogram, you know, it, he has a, a whole thing on viral change and how people trust each other I and mean, we know peer-to-peer nexus is strong and they're sometimes much stronger than um people who do think they're running an organization so to be able to tap into those networks to get your job done and i think latterly i've been very privileged to do some work with a, a company called mirror media they are brilliant at um helping your organization uh, mind mine stories and um they're all journalists and and I, I honestly the joy of working with them has been has been terrific so there are people I mean there are numerous people probably people going well she didn't mention me (laughs) and I'm sorry I'm sorry been a long career as a date but I think the networks you can create yourself are also excellent so uh, I have been I remember joining LinkedIn when I joined LinkedIn and that was because my lovely friend and and former colleague and you know her Pamela Harris said oh we also get on this thing called LinkedIn and I kept thinking oh you know Well, LinkedIn's been brilliant in terms of of making network and making connections and sharing good practice. And, you know, a lot of people I've met through um, work have been friends and vice versa. So I always say, and I do mentor a few uh, younger people who are interested in a career in communications that really you need to start building a bit of a network. Is it word of mouth and free advice and, and the sort of mutual support it's a, a fantastic result, a really fantastic.
0: You're also a member of the Board of Trustees for the Sussex Community Development Association, which runs community-based projects, which addresses the needs of local people. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because that obviously sounds like a very fulfilling thing to do in parallel yes, to your career.
1: Yes, it is. It is a new... I'm a new trustee. I'm still being inducted. I think it's something that I've, I've wanted to do for quite a while, but it was just trying to find the right place. And When I married my husband, I inherited three rather wonderful stepsons, and um they are still talking to me one of them charlie has got um learnings of a severe learning difficulties and he's got autism and he's got all sorts of um interesting uh things including on his 22nd chromosome uh which is quite an interesting thing because no one really knows um what that actually means and so and so for, qu- for quite a while he lived with me i hadn't been going out with his father much 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 Time. and then he decided to come and live with us for seven years and Charlie taught me an awful lot about the world of um world that's slightly different so well where you know it's neurodiverse and it's a bit more interesting than um than I've been used to and um I love him to bits but been it was been a really educational as well as as rewarding experience being his stepmother so I have that side to me of of, of really Having my eyes opened and into the, into that world and how how challenging that can be in terms of funding and support and things like that. Similarly, like many people, I've been caring for my for my for my mother and you know sorting out care for her and trying to get into that world and and so those things kind of collided and I, and I wanted to do something where I felt that I could use my my communication skills and put something into the into the local community and opportunity came up to join um the sussex community balance association as a as a board trustee one of one of five new ones and um I've, i started that in february and i haven't really done an awful lot so far but they do some incredible work across the the county of sussex in terms of supporting everything from employability skills to health and well-being to nursery care. i hope to give quite a bit of my spare time to to, to working with them and and doing some coaching and, and helping that organization navigate the increasingly challenging funding landscape for or charities so yeah
0: well I wish you well with that it sounds an incredibly rewarding um thing to do but you mentioned mentoring young people and it's something that I'm very interested in as well as I'm starting to to do a bit a little bit of that. I'm hoping to do more but what's the one piece of advice you'd give to someone coming out of school or university who who might now have a career in communications on the radar
1: yeah I think well I, I've been talking to someone um really recently actually and and I think some of it has been about you know again it's often that sort of I mean it we won't change it's a catch-22 sometimes isn't it we're trying to get your first role First job when you don't have any experience so it's been about coaching people about what experience they do have and almost helping them bring out anything they've done that is about creating strong relationships with people or, or being customer facing or um, any of the stuff they may have written I mean or, or created in terms of content and things like that and if they haven't to do that because invariably if they're interested in it they've done a bit of it but it's all over the place and they perhaps need to think about bringing it together and you know having a almost like a hub for their, their work that they could showcase and, and things like that so three or four people I've worked with in the last year I've, I've helped them create CDs that, that have a bit of impact with the stuff that they can already do and you know just talk to them about the different aspects of, of communication and the fact that you can, there are all these incredible, awesome worth them going and looking at and really having a think about and whether it's something they're interested in so i mean a couple of people i've suggested um go and do after college um some foundational courses you know, again our academy basis like that do some really brilliant taste sessions things like that so there's all of that that they can do they can look at the stuff they've already done and then shape that and bring that together um i just say to people you've just got to be interested you know, it's not going to come to you, and you need to be interested in people and how things work. And if you've got some some talent on top, then then brilliant. But that that's really a, that basic interest in people uh, and how how things are going to be uh, better once you've been involved is is, is paramount.
0: No, that's 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 great advice for anyone listening as well. Um, do you just going back to your your actual sort of school years your formative years i mean do, is are there any sort of lessons life lessons you gained there is there anything kind of that you know now that you you wish you'd known when you were at school
1: now i still believe poems are easier to write than essays <laughs> even limericks i mean i just loved writing as a child and i know it sounds like i was completely geeky but i was incredibly introverted i still am an introvert people go what can you be an introvert, I go really, I'm an introvert with extrovert bits and bobs, but I was so shy at school, I was dreadfully bullied at school, and I just used to progress into writing and reading, and it was just what I did. Um, how I got into journalism from from being a very shy child is really drama at school, I did drama at school, and I could be someone else, and I think that being someone else helped me for quite a few years just remember my first interviews you know and i had to do them when i was at i went to journalism college at this great old trade college called london college of printing and i only got in because i was really angry that they were being so rude to me not knowing at 17 that what good what bad cop interviewing was and just thought they were very very rude men um and so i was belligerent and rude back and um they said you're perfect perfect we're gonna have you on this course <laughs> I just it. um but yeah, I can't remember the question now, Sam. What
0: was it? Doesn't matter, it's a great Doesn't answer. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> well, this this leads us perfectly onto a staple certainly in the the fire of the pandemic days when i used to have guests on and we were all in our sheds quite frankly i would always ask interviewees about any unusual fact about themselves that anyone listening was was highly unlikely to know and so i wondered if you yeah. you had such a nugget to share
1: oh my goodness uh well i can tell you I mean, it's a bit depressing, but it, it came up. Uh, it came up this weekend because I, 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 there's a sort of birthday happening in my world this year, and um, I'll just say 40 again. I'll do that 40, and therefore, I, I mean, I had seen a, a school friend of a certain age um, having a lovely uh, birthday in the in the Indian Ocean somewhere with a girl I had literally not seen for God knows how many years, who was her best friend at school. And it triggered, of course, why this woman meant so much to me, even though we've never really spoken over the decades. And it was the fact that she was a secretary at the newspaper, uh, unbeknown to me, um, when I wrote my a letter to the paper saying I, I was I just left the London of Printing, and I, I I had this wonderful, you know, diploma in journalism, and therefore would be perfect for this role and um, she put my CV on the top of 90 other CVs because she'd been to school with me and unbeknown to me. What I dare tell you, and, and some people know this about me, is that the only reason that the editor actually looked at my CV, even though she popped it on the top, was that I'd been Miss December. I'd been in the newspaper as Miss December. He Used to emulate the dreadful tabloids, and I was a, I was working in a at Debenham's department store when someone said to me, Oh, we need a girl to stand to sit on this sort of throne and, and, and drink fake champagne and, and have a photograph of her in a Santa cape and a leopard print bikini. And obviously, as an inch about, I went, across, subtly, Of course, I said nothing, and they said, Well, you'll do, Sarah, do, do you mind? And I went, Uh, uh, uh okay, and so. Got my photograph on the front page of the Herald, which was mortifying for me, but way too late. And the editor said, oh, it's a girl in the bikini, isn't it? Oh, I'll have a look at her CV. So, you know, I mean, one way or another, I had to prove myself uh, after three or four years of quite gritty uh, journalism training. I won an award, actually, on the National Council of Training of Journalists for newspaper Practice, which I'm very proud about. Um, So I must have been quite good at it. Um, But that's how I got my break. Leopard print bikini and a Santa cape.
0: That's a great story, and we and we've all got an image now. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I, think we're all...
1: I mean, it's at seventeen. I look better. I have to say,
0: <laughs> it's at this very important juncture. I need to to ask possibly the most important question of all, which is: Is there anything else you'd like to share?
1: <laughs> I probably career suicide now, Sam. So I don't. I don't share any more. I think that's probably enough that anyone wants to hear from me. The last thing I'd say is that I, I am genuinely interested in the profession I've been in. I I've, I really get some real kicks from doing it. Still, I I really enjoy. I love writing. I mean, it's still my. It's like breathing to me. I don't go a day when I'm not doing something and some content creation of some description. I do quite a bit in my, in my. Well, let's talk about the spare time. In my past times. I I do do quite a lot of community social media and things like that and I really enjoy that creative side of um of of working and bringing that into my into my other work and my social life uh, so yeah I'll keep down
0: No well they, they certainly can and listen it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, comes from the shed podcast luckily this isn't video because people won't be able to see you blush when i say this but (laughs) you're certainly one of my favorite bosses over the years
1: um, and
0: and and someone i'd consider most definitely as a mentor in the communications profession so thank you for everything you've done for me over the years and thank you for coming on the show
1: and thank you sam so much for this and thank you for being you and also thank you for um singing such a beautiful song at, at, at the farewell of one of the roles that I did love when I first met you um and also doing that terrible, terrible poster of me in a carry-on costume but let's let's leave it there, shall we?
0: <laughs> I knew there was something else there was <laughs> <laughs> well with with that I say thank you very much, Sarah Lazenby, thank and thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you, Sam.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Combs from the Shed. Hit subscribe if you want to know when new episodes are available, or check out our Instagram page for the latest updates. Don't miss the next episode.